and we'll find more directly what the Spirit of the Lord was trying to say to us. We were talking about spiritual rebellion. There must be a removal of all spiritual resistance before there can be a self-denial, a total self-denial. Because if we withhold anything from God, if we allow ourselves the privilege of maintaining any self or any carnality or any carnal thing, then we allow ourselves the privilege of judging the Word of God and we filter the light that goes in and out of our souls. And that should never be. Should never be. By the way, I'm not omitting the, I'm not omitting the ladies who also strive and struggle toward the will of God. The, the young ladies, the gals who are in wide world ministries who attend and are so very ambitiously seeking after God. I'm not omitting you by your not being up here. Uh, but these men need to be here tonight. Okay? They need to be here tonight. Hallelujah. The sixth chapter of Isaiah, we will begin with the very first verse. It certainly isn't a hidden passage. It isn't something we're not unaware of. But there's something in this that the Lord brought to me that I want us to explore in depth tonight. I have not forgotten the offering, so you can stop worrying about that. I'm going to preach about the offering before I take the offering. Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I saw also the Lord, sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Let's all say temple. You've been talking to respond better than that. We're talking about the word of God. You watch it. You watch it. Let's all say temple. The temple. The temple. He was in a holy place. He found God in a holy place. The temple is representative of the place that God dwells. Right? Now immediately, in the Holy Ghost, in the dispensation of grace, something should have flashed through your mind already. If you were going to preach this for me tonight, and I was going to sit on the front seat and listen with my mouth open, hunger for God, what's one of the first things you'd, you'd quote? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God. Hallelujah. That's right. And you are not your own, but you're bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You are God's temple now. And if Isaiah saw the Lord in his holy temple here, high and lifted up, so then God should be high and lifted up in our temple. And his train or whatever spiritual paraphernalia belongs to God should fill the temple. There should not be anything else in the temple but God. His chain should fill the temple. Praise God. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain or with two more he did fly. And, he, and one cried, or the angels cried, unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a text that would be. Hallelujah. The whole earth is full of his glory. It is. 
If you were going to preach it tonight, where would you go from there? You would say what David said. Amen. When I consider the handiwork of God and the firmament and all that his hands have made, while the whole earth is full of his glory, then I say, What is man that thou art mindful of him? I can come right back and say, Man is the temple of God, because God chose to dwell there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The fourth verse and a text. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful word. so long, and the Lord will reward your worship. What a great relief it is to the ministry to come able to do the work of God without the terrible nagging in my soul that we must press to reach the spiritual heights. What a great relief it is in the Spirit to believe that when we walk into this place, every heart is tuned to the melody of God's song, and every mouth is breathing out praise to his holy name. What a wonderful relief it is to the preacher to believe that when it comes time for the word of God, people will sit hungry, anxious, waiting, responding, not just becoming a part of the drain or sponges to get, but a part of the ministry seeking to transfer the spirit of your own inspiration to the preacher so that we all become a sounding board to the word of God. So that the minister is not someone who stands above all the people just to be a light to all, but we come together to hear the word of God as the spirit of God would speak it to every one of us. We don't just want the Holy Ghost to speak to the preacher and the preacher to speak to the church. We want the Holy Ghost to speak to the church. Hallelujah. Let him that hath an ear to hear, hear. Hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I want to believe that everyone in this building has an ear to hear the Word of God. Not just the preacher, but everybody has ears to hear. I want ears to hear the Spirit. Because I know that there are times when words grow clumsy and bombast is waste. And I know that verbal fodder can be waded through to the count of silo after silo, and still no one is fed and fattened. I believe it's possible to hear preaching and preaching and preaching and not gain anything much but just texts and clauses and statements and cliches. But if the Spirit of God touches your heart, you remember the night you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't hardly remember what the preacher preached, perhaps but you know that something reached out and touched your soul. So I'm proclaiming that doctrine must be taught, but the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, the will of the Spirit must be preached, because in preaching God wants to transfer the anointing, not just to the preacher, but he wants to anoint the ears to hear, and every heart to be in tune with the Spirit of God. 
so that you receive the spirit of the word, not just the letter of the word. Now, I am interested in the fourth verse, as you can see. I have in my center margin here uh, sometimes a reference to a more original word, and it just happens that in this fourth verse there is a, the word post, P-O-S-T-S. Beside it, I have a number seven in my Bible. It just is an Oxford Bible, and it's a reference. That's not holy. The seven is not holy, but it is just there for reference. And a scholar, no doubt a Hebraic scholar, has interpreted the word, the post of the door, which we would understand. In the Old English, we would understand the post of the door. That means that the, the, the lintels of the door, or what makes the door stand upright, we would seem to understand. But here the scholars seem to think we needed a clear explanation of this term. I am not one for reveling through all kinds of interpretations and ideas. But I do know that there are times that I have gained a better understanding by understanding what that word means. And so here, I want to show you what it says here in my center reference. It says where it says the post of the door moved. Here it says the foundations of the thresholds moved. I love the word threshold because it reminds me of scripture in Ezekiel. Chapter 47 and 49 that talk about the waters flowing out of the house of the Lord. And it says it flowed out under the threshold of the house of the Lord eastward. Hallelujah. I believe that if we are the house of God and we are the temple of God, then the water needs to flow out of the threshold. Evidently, there must be an entrance into the heart and into the soul of men. You will remember the word of David that said, The entrance of thy word giveth life. Let's all say light. Let's all say entrance. Well, now you see, something has to enter in to maintain or to gain an entrance. And the Word of God has to get in. Last night I was preaching about getting clear to the heart. I'm convinced that a lot of preaching never gets to the heart. I'm convinced that many times the preacher only gets to your head. Sometimes just down to your emotion, but not right on down into the heart. The heart here is not speaking of the little pink pump that lays down under the fifth rib. We're talking about the seat of emotion and understanding. We're talking about the boiler room of the soul where all intent is weighed and where the conscience stays. I'm talking about the private quarters of your own conscience, conscience that tells you to do or not to do. The Bible talks about those who have seared their conscience with a hot iron. It's just like taking the nerves in your body and just taking a hot piece of metal and just searing off until you don't have any more feeling in your hand. There are some people who have seared their conscience with a hot iron. And the heart or the soul or the, the conscience, the seat of emotion, the thing that tells you right and wrong, the thing that says yes and no, is not any more guided by the tender hand of God. And the high and lifted up and holy God that should be sitting on the throne of your heart is not there. And standing guard at the threshold of your heart is jealousy and rebellion and pride and self-righteousness. That's right. It happens to the very best of people. In Jude, I'll, I'll repeat tonight, he said, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. 
And God is not past coming back with retribution to correct and to straighten out those who once have been correct. I believe that the doctrine of just once saved, always saved is damnable and is a, is a fallacy. I believe it leads men down a road of self-righteousness until they don't feel their need to repent and seek after God. We'll never be without a need for God. David said, as the heart pours after the water brook, the running deer, as the running deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now, I don't know how you feel, but after 25 years of having the experience of the Holy Ghost, and after in my youth serving the Lord to the best of my ability, and seeking after God in the night seasons and the Word of God, many days in fastings and in prayer and alone, I do not feel that I have Him. I only know that I need Him. I'm glad He lives in me. I thank God for His abiding Spirit, but I don't have a corner on Him. I don't own Him. I, don't, I cannot say that I have Him today, so I'll always have Him. I've got to be honest enough in my spirit to come back over and over again and reevaluate my position and make sure that some selfish, fleshly attitude hasn't come and rotted from the throne of my heart, the blessed King of Kings, and has taken over a human dominance. I cannot allow myself the privilege of letting my flesh get out of hand because I know that lust loves the throne. I know that pride loves the throne. I know that holiness wants a throne. And I know that once they get there, they put their guards, rebellion and jealousy at the threshold to keep it from being moved. And every time the light of the Word of God comes shining, they say, no, no. They cross their swords and say, you can't come in. But I've come to remove rebellion. I've come tonight in the Holy Ghost to remove all holiness. I certainly cannot do that, but I come in the Holy Ghost to do this thing. The Bible said, whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I come to bind the spirit of spiritual rebellion that rule the hearts to resistance and cause the souls of men to say no to the light of the Word of God and the spirit that moves us time after time. And I say that the posts of the house are the door of the house of the Lord that refuse to be moved at preaching, that refuse to be moved by prayer, that for so many years have been crystallized and settled and sealed in some old spiritual metallic form until we just become ore rather than gold. I come to say that it is time for us to say holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. One to another, as the angel said, until the post of the door of the heart is moved. We need to worship. We need to bow in contrition. We need to come back to the blood again. It doesn't matter how long you've known him. You need to come back again. You have no path. Today is the day of salvation for the church and the world. This is the hour we need to speak after God. Never has there been so much junk in religion. Never has there been so much man be pen be preaching from the pulpit. 
Never have men been so far from God to claim so much salvation. Never has the pulpit been so void of actual truth and sound doctrine as it is in 1976. And in this bicentennial year, never should there be an hour when men lift their voices like trumpets to preach as this day. We need to say what thus saith the Word of God. We need to hear the Word of God. Hallelujah! The caustic soul rejects the Word. The ambitious spirit of carnality hates preachers who will look you in the eye and tell you that you're a sinner if you don't seek after God. They want you to salve their minds and let them go free. I read from you in Isaiah last night. I read to you that they said, we are holier than thou. Do not speak to us of God or holy things. Don't seek after God or lead us to seek after God. But now listen, I am not going to stand in this pulpit and claim to be a preacher of God's word and tell you after the king of kings robed himself in flesh came to rebuke hypocrisy and Phariseeism, that I can be the servant of the Most High God in the flesh and allow the flesh to control the heart. I believe that he is either the Lord of all of your heart or he's not the Lord at all. He's either going to be Lord God Almighty in your spirit or he is not of you and you're not of him. Now it doesn't shake me what the clergy says and it doesn't buffet me what the, uh, what the laity wants. It's time for us to rise above all public opinion and come honest, not just as Christians, but as Pentecostals. We've claimed for years to be so right, then we need to get right. We've claimed that we've got it, then we need to have it. We need to put off the robes of self-righteousness and be what we claim we are, and be holy before God and love God with an honest intent. We've claimed power and roared our engine in front of the world so long that they're sick of us. The reason why we haven't reached the Baptist and the Lutheran and the Methodist more with this glorious experience that they are hungry for as well is because we have exalted ourselves with some kind of a human exemption and some kind of a spiritual contempt that causes them to see the ignominy of our own self-righteousness before they can see the glory of the cross. We need to be rebaptized. We need to be absolutely abstaining from such attitudes. We need to love them. confess to you that I've never in all my life felt so much like preaching as I have felt in this week. I feel a fresh new anointing of the Holy Ghost in my soul. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may not think it, but I feel it anyhow. Praise God. I want to tell you that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It is the pub of spirits. It's the marketplace for reveling ambitious carnality. That's the place that carnality will hang out night after night, down somewhere in the emotion. The mind is the battlefield of the soul, and in that mind the lust wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, so that the things I would do, I do not, and the things I would not do, I do, the apostle said. I see a war in my members. I see things inside of me. My heart is the place where spirits come. We've been used to petting these little things like little underage children, minors in the bar of life. We allow these spirits to come and camp on our doorsteps and come and wade into our hearts and minds and attitudes and get in there and act mist 
and act put out and act hurt and be prayerless and be just a little sensual and just a little giddy and just a little this and just a little that. But the first thing you know, you feed them just enough of the broth of carnality and they grow biceps. Those spirits get some kind of canine dentures. It's not long until they've got fangs. It's not long until those spirits take meat and bone and they become a conquering system in your soul and they start directing you. I've seen men who one time walked with God in humility that were so proud you couldn't touch them with the Bible. You know what happened? They entertained things about their nature that they should never have allowed to stay in their heart. There needs to be a spiritual bouncer in every one of us. And that's what God gave us when he gave us the Holy Ghost. It ought to tell us what is right and tell us what is wrong. And we need to obey it without any question whatsoever. But when rebellion comes and takes the door of your heart, he puts his pillars down and seals his foundation until the heart cannot be moved by preaching, by repentance, by prayer, or by anything. It just stands there stoic and stayed. Services can roll by. Messages may be preached. Men of God can come with anointing and direct messages to the church. And yet there are some who have hearts so guarded that they for years have managed to be unmoved by the word of God in any form or any instant. They are the ones who are the observer of spiritual times and seasons, while other people are rejoicing, weeping, repenting. These people stand stoically by unmoved. But I want to tell you something tonight. You can be moved. If you want to be moved, the door of your house can be moved. I want to tell you that the foundation of your threshold can be moved. You need to call on God and the holy angels to come and move in. You need to start crying out, Holy! Holy! Holy is the Lord God Almighty! It's hard for a man to worship God unreservedly long without everything in him melting away. But let me tell you what, these toothy giants that seek a residence and a liar in your soul should be absolutely put away by your self-determination to put down everything that lifts itself against the God of heaven. Your body is the temple of God. And as Isaiah saw in an earthly temple, so we must see in a spiritual temple that God cannot take a second place. God will never take the stair. You can't set God in the courtroom while jealousy sits on the throne. You can't put the Spirit of God out in the backyard while some kind of a resistance sits out in the throne room. You've got to put away every human and carnal idea every ambition of the flesh. That's why Jesus said when he started building his kingdom that my kingdom is not of this world else would my servants fight. But he did say something. If any man will come after me and get in my kingdom or be my disciple, then let him deny himself. Dig out everything he's got that he wants. Take down everything he's got that he desires. Take every ambition and every goal of the flesh and remove it. Send it away. Put it down. Take the guard away. And let the living God come in and be a resident in your soul. And until that takes place, there cannot be a total commitment to God. There will always be a reason why you resist. Spiritual resistance. I want to come to this now. It's the first step in falling away. Falling away is not just backsliding or getting cold in your spirit. 
the falling away is sinning against the Holy Ghost. The very first step is not going out and cursing the face of God and shaking your fist. The very first step against sinning against the Holy Spirit of God, which Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, can never be forgiven in this life nor in the life to come, begins with a simple resistance against the Holy Spirit of God. You remember that Stephen was killed for the message he preached, the one sermon he got into the Holy Writ, when he stood and said, As your fathers did resist the Holy Ghost, so do ye always resist the Holy Ghost, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. He said that, and the Bible said they gnashed on him with their teeth, and they stoned him with stones. And he looked up and said, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. His face shone like an angel. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And the Bible said he fell asleep. Hallelujah. The first martyr, glorious victory, caught away to be with Jesus. Praise God. But before he went, he was telling those people. They were the religious bunch. You know who was standing there? Pharisee Saul of Tarsus, holding the coats of the men who were about to stone him to death. It was that Pharisee who claimed he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was born of the stock of Israel. He was the most religious thing that ever put shoe leather down on a sandy trail. And yet, God had to absolutely knock him to his knees to make him a servant of the Lord. He stood and killed a man who was full of the Holy Ghost. And so it may be with you, sir, while you are butchering the preacher with your tongue and slaughtering the saints of God before your children at dinner time. Maybe you better stop before God takes you to your knees and knocks you flat on some dusty road. God will not tolerate spiritual rebellion. Hallelujah. He that hardeneth his, stiffeneth his neck and hardeneth his heart shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. It's going to happen suddenly. As a branch growing out of a crack in the wall, I read to you last night, it breaks and snaps with a loud noise. Suddenly, you don't expect it. It doesn't have much root. You don't know the moment that it's going to let go. It seems that the, that the bulk of the cambium grows larger than the root can, can support. And out of the clinging rock, it breaks and snaps and falls to the ground. So is the judgment against the rebellious house says the prophet of God. And so it is. Men may cling to their rebellions and to their spiritual resistances for years and years and maintain the mediocre Pentecostal stance. But let me tell you that in the Spirit of God, as we have been seeking and seeing in the last few services, you cannot long endure. The day will come when the unrighteous shall not sit in the congregation of the righteous. We're not talking about sinners. We need a thousand of those a night to walk in here. But nothing stinks in God's nostrils so much as men and women who have known the power of God and tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, who actually resist worship, who resist prayer, who resist preaching, who resist faithfulness, who resist giving. God is against you, Gog, Magog. Why did he say that? God is against you because you have rebelled against the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. The prophet said, Woe to sinners in Zion. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fear has taken the hypocrite. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. I read to you last night that he will by no means, Nahum said, acquit the wicked. There's just something about the character of God that he will not let sin go. That's why he made atonement for it, because God cannot tolerate sin and rebellion and sin. I'll go back now to the text I was reading last night and tell you that Saul, who was the first king anointed of God to be king over Israel, 
After 40 years, he lost the humility that was his, that he donned the cloak of humility as a, as a young man. Well, when they went to find him to make him king over Israel, he was humble, hiding among the stuff. He wouldn't even come out for his coronation. They had to drag him out from under things and bring him to the throne room. When they got him up in front of the people, the people cried, God save the king. And here is a humble boy, son of Kish, hiding with his hands behind his head, and, and, and he's just all embarrassed. Where went that sweet humility? Forty years later, he's mocking the man of God. Forty years later, he's saying, oh, that old man... Why doesn't he get up here and offer this sacrifice? He's not going to do it, I'll do it. He took upon himself the right of ministry. You know what he really took? He took the right of the judge. Because judgment belonged to the prophet. And the Bible said Saul was cut off, for, cut off because he rendered not judgment unto the Lord. What really did he do? He took it upon himself to say that the preacher was not right. He took it upon himself to say that the prophet of God was not on time. He took it upon himself to question the word of God and the vessel that God used. And for that, God cut him off. He went out, as you know, and in many conquests he came back without doing the will of God. But one that is most outstanding is his battle against Amalek. And when he came back, after having looted the enemy, he came back with the cattle and he came back with sheep and he came back with the king Agag. And when he got back, Samuel, the old man, now having served God for 40 years, God did not let one word that Samuel spake fall to the ground. He leans on that old perspiration polished staff and looks those narrow eyes up into the tall face of Saul, the handsome, brawny, broad-shouldered fellow that God had chosen to be king. And he said, what is this I hear? The lowing of the cattle and the bleeding of the sheep. And Saul made excuses for his sin and made excuses for his rebellion. The Lord said, you utterly destroy the Amalekites. But Saul said, I don't have to do what he said. His heart was not touched with the word of God. The Lord spoke unto him. The Bible said, and the word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying. The word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying. The word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying. It wasn't just old Samuel he was doing wrong. It wasn't just old Samuel he didn't like. It wasn't just old preacher he wouldn't hear. He couldn't hear the word of God. He wouldn't tolerate anybody being over him. Do you know what the Bible says? I'm not preaching for myself. I'm preaching the holy word of God. Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your soul as one who must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. There is a resistance in some hearts still in this congregation that cannot tolerate someone telling them spiritually what they need to do. Now that resistance is not right. It's not godly. Whether I'm the pastor or someone else is the pastor, if God anoints a man to be the leader, the angel of the church at Ephesus, or the angel of the church at, uh, at Thyatira, or the angel of the church at, at Philadelphia, or the angel of the church at Fort Worth, if God has a messenger to that church and anoints him to be the messenger and the mouthpiece through which he speaks, we know that offenses must come, but woe unto the man by whom they come, the Bible said. We know that mocking and scoffing and in the last days, ungodly men walking after their own lusts will come and speak things that are contrary to the word of God. But we also know that God is going to hold preacher and church responsible for the word of God that is preached and that is obeyed. How can we do that if we can't obey the word of God? Well, accept it. 
say, well, I don't agree with everything. You see, it's not a matter of just agreeing with everything the preacher said. It's a matter of having your spirit open to accept everything God says. You don't have to agree or disagree. God did not make us the judge of preachers. God made us a recipient of the Word of God to take what the Holy Word says and get it in our hearts. If there's something you don't understand, then let the Holy Ghost work it out for you. It's, it's not going to shake anything. Just walk with God. You know what's wrong with people like that? They're looking for something. They're waiting for one mis cue. They're looking for one missed word. They're waiting for one misstep. They're waiting for the preacher to be a human after a while. And when finally they find out that he's got one thought, then they elevate that. They put that up. Let me tell you before you get preacher religion in this church that I make a bunch of mistakes. I am my human. I go to the bathroom. I put my britches on one leg at a time and have to tie my shoes. I am not holy. I am a man. Make a lot of mistakes. Upset my wife sometimes. Do you understand what I'm talking about? If God had wanted holy things, he could have sent angels, but he didn't. That's why he came and took on the form of man and walked among us. Then when he got ready to propagate the gospel, he took more men. And he chose them. Those men made mistakes. Some of them denied him. And yet he gave them the keys of the kingdom and said, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. How can God trust it to somebody? I'll tell you why he can trust it. Because his system is higher than your judgment. That's why. And God can put somebody in place. I never have believed in, and we don't have this here so I can preach this. I never have believed in churches getting petitions to put preachers away. And boards running preachers off. I never believed that could be the will of God. I've been places where churches couldn't have a preacher more than six months because they got sick of him, found his mistake, and then sent him off someplace else. Nothing irks me any more than to listen to some kind of a Pharisee sit and tell you about how they got together and how they worked on the preacher the other day. And nothing grinds me more than to hear preachers get together and talk about how they skinned God's sheep and how they got everybody straightened out and how they disfellowshipped and kicked so many people out of the church. Because it's God's church. It's not my church, it's God's church. I'm just glad I'm in God's church. But I want you to know I'd be glad to sit on the pew and let somebody preach to me. I don't think a preacher ought to ever preach if he couldn't be a saint. I don't think there ought to be a preacher in the world who could ever call himself a man of God if he couldn't sit down and let somebody give him correction. If he can't receive correction, he shouldn't give correction. If he can't be taught, he should never seek to teach. If he can't be rebuked, then he should never offer a rebuke. If he doesn't have the spirit to be misunderstood, then he should never hope that he can ever appease the spirits of men in a congregation. If you're too good and too smart and so self-protective that you can't afford for somebody to talk about you, then your shell is too soft to be a preacher. You need to go hide in a pew somewhere and hope somebody don't step on your head. Praise God. Let's all stand, shall we? Praise God. sound doctrine that many spirits come to life. If you find yourself gnawing your heart out right now, you are the one I'm preaching to. 
you find it's the word of God that routes out these spirits, but you should not get mad at me. What you really need to do is examine your attitude. It's very possible that your heart hasn't been approached for years by a word that could change you, that the posts of your door have not been moved for years. But if God ever gets on the throne of your heart, you can be sure that the posts of the door of the temple are going to move. They're going to move. And I want God to move me. I don't know what you're thinking, but I want to be moved. Hallelujah. I want to be moved. I don't want to be the same. I want to be moved. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want his train to fill my temple. I don't want garbage. You may be seated. I don't want novels to fill my temple. I don't want worldly records to fill my temple. I don't want worldly songs to fill my temple. I don't want shows to fill my temple. Amen. I don't want lust to fill my temple. I don't want ungodly pictures in my mind. I don't want it to fill my temple. Come on now, isn't that right? I want his train to fill my temple. I don't want him sitting somewhere in the corner of my soul while my job takes preeminence in my life and my future takes preeminence in my life and my security takes preeminence in my life. I want God to climb the steps of my heart. I tell you, I've come tonight to uncross the swords of rebellion and jealousy and to put those vile spirits away no matter how big or small they are. I refuse to be controlled by attitudes of the flesh that will not let the true spirit of Jesus dwell in me. I cannot allow anger and malice and wrath and bitterness and strife and backbiting to rule my heart. I'm not going to let Jesus sit somewhere out in the courtyard while I hold these attitudes dear. I refuse to do that. I'm going to put them out one at a time. I have the power to do it. I am the master of my faith. I will not die in rebellion. I will not do it. You know what happened to Saul? The Bible said an evil spirit from the Lord came on him. I said an evil spirit from the Lord came on him. God lifted the fence and put a devil under it and let it go and get a hold of that man until he was out of his head. He didn't know whether he was coming or going, frothing at the mouth, raging like a madman, falling in the floor in tantrum. And then he'd come to the house of God and get among the prophets, among those who exemplified a spirit of worship. And you know what he'd do? He'd fall on his face and prophesy with him. Oh, I've seen that spirit work before. You know what that spirit is? In the New Testament it's called the reprobate spirit that loses its love for the truth and it's turned over to a reprobate mind. You know what happens? It starts believing a lie. It'll believe things that are not true. It believes you're right when you're dead wrong. It believes that everybody that's in authority is wrong when they're right. It despises dominion. It hates authority. And everything that is of God, it wants to put down. It resists correction. It hates rebuke. It will not be preached to. That spirit will not be corrected. It'll get up and go to another church. It'll get up and pout. It won't be straightened out. You can come and sing to it all day long and it'll wind up throwing spears at you. Hallelujah. You can hide from it. 
and it'll come looking for you. And when you come back with kindness to that devil, that spirit, and say, look, I was in the cave with you. I cut off a piece of your garment, as David did with Saul. His honor bearer said, surely the Lord hath delivered him into your hand. You got him this time, friend. You got him. Kill him. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Not the spirit of God. You know not what spirit you are of. Shall we call down fire to heaven and devour them, Lord? No, no, I came not to bring death or to bring destruction, but to bring life on the earth. So David walks out of the cave, leaves the, the, his enemy, the king that's chasing him like a rabbit through a briar patch. That's not the only thing. God has already transferred the anointing. In David's locks is already the sticky oil of anointing. He's going to be the king. God already said he's going to be the king. Why don't he just put this old devil away? Uh-uh. God's going to do his own work. Why don't you go on and kill that preacher? God's going to do his own work. What did David say? God forbid that I should touch the Lord's anointed. He said, you put your sword away, you're not going to touch him. That'd be a good rule. You know what? You'd save a lot of good innocent preachers that way. Because a devil will wind up talking about somebody that's not wrong and make them wrong and everybody joins in because they think they're wrong, get in the gossip. And God's work is risked from one side to the other. Not just the preacher, but saints as well. When people get to devouring one another, they leave nothing but just the bones like a cat eating a fish. I'm telling you that there's nothing but the eyeballs and the bones. That should never be. And God put a, God put a stopgate in his gospel. And that was that God is responsible for his preacher. You're responsible for the word of God. Say, so what are you preaching about that for? Because rebellion is always against authority. There's no use to rebel if there's no authority. That's why Jews said they despise dominion. Amen. So he walks over to the other side of the hill, holds up a piece of Saul's garment when he comes out of the tent, stretching. He's chasing David all over the hills. And he looks up and David says, Oh, king, your majesty, here, look at what I got. Look at what I got. See this? See what color that is? Oh, there you go. No, no, just a minute. Let me talk to you. See here? You know why I got that? Look down there on your robe. Look down there on your clothes. 